We've heard it said a thousand times that life is about the journey and not about the destination. Yet all we talk about is the destination. Keeping score is a zoom in on that journey, a reminder that you're not alone, a reminder that you have more power than you think, and inspiration to take that next step. All right, everybody, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us back here at Keeping Score. I am Masella Dukley. And as always, we have someone really interesting to talk about. And you all know the whole point of this show is to really understand how people stay engaged and happy in their lives. Today we have Dr. Vanita Sandhu. And Vanita is not only a teammate of mine at Life Labs Learning, but she is a clinical psychologist. She is a consultant. She's somebody who is intelligent and extremely like passionate and kind, but one thing that stand or has stood out to me consistently is her warmth. And so my thought is that warmth is something that sure might be innate, but probably is a distinct choice we're making along the way every day. And I'm curious to hear what life looks like for Vanita, what she's been through, hear a little bit more of her story, and hopefully we can all gain something uh, wonderful outside of this. All right. So Vanita, welcome. How are you? Hi, thank you. Can you always intro me like that to everything we do in life together? Yes, absolutely. I'm like, this is going to be my trademark. I'm like, tell me amazing things about yourself and I'll tell everybody that I know. Um, yes. So Vanita, thank you so much for, for taking your time to chat with us here at Keeping Score. Um, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. Amazing. I, I want to dive right in. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is just thinking about, again, like the warmth that you bring. Like when you wake up, you start your day, what, what's the thing that you tell yourself? Do you tell yourself anything? How, how do you sort of keep that going? Yeah, gosh, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because you're catching me at a time where I've been really reflective about life. And I think it's honestly because of this Kobe Bryant tragedy last week. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably for a lot of people it's doing this to them, but I'm really stepping back to just think about what am I spending my time on? Why am I spending my time on this? And who do I want around me? Um, and so when I think about even just the last week about what I tell myself when I wake up in the morning, which by the way, this is not a usual practice for me. <laughs> I just think it's now top of mind given recent events, but I, I actually, the first thing I think to myself is who do I want to connect with today? Hmm. Okay. Um, so it's more of a who rather than a what for me. Okay. So your, your thing is connection and like pausing on the connection point just because I am feeling all the same way as you are about Kobe, it sounds like. I'm just having a really hard time. I mean, it's funny because I am not uh, like a huge sports fan by any means. So like, I won't claim that, but my brother loves Kobe Bryant. And so like in our house, we just loved Kobe. It was always all about Kobe and his work ethic and just that he was a winner. And this really like shook me. And it seems that it's doing that to a lot of people. And it's exactly what you're saying. There's a moment of reflection, a moment of what the hell, how does this happen? Why does it happen? And for some reason, it's like, I keep watching these interviews with him. Like it won't stop. Like I fell down another rabbit hole last night and I'm just like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Um, But to bring that around to what you're saying is this like connection point, which it seems that it's clear and really evident that Kobe was really able to impact people, even people like me, where it wasn't like I was sitting there watching the games, but connected some way that like his legacy is so resounding in my mind. 
with all of that, like connection, why connection? So, um, Maya Angelou had this really, she has this quote that's attributed to her, which is people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And that is, I think what stands out to me most when I think about who do I want to connect with today? And it's probably one of the things that, that gives me most joy back to your description of me of joy at the beginning is for the most part, Michelle, if there's an experience that I want to have, I'll just go find a way to make it happen. Mm. Um, and it could be something small. It could be something big. Like just a few months ago, uh, my partner and I decided to host a stand-up comedy night at our house because we both really love comedy, wanted to try it out. Or if it was a big thing, like, I really want to experience graduate school. I want to go and I want to do that. Um, so I just would find a way if it was interesting enough to me to try to make it happen. But at the baseline of all those experiences, it's how can I find a new and interesting way to connect with people? Okay. Okay. So just making it happen, like preening it yourself. And I think what's really cool about that is that you have the belief that you can, which seems to be something that people can often struggle with. Like, can I do it? And if I do it, is it important? I don't know. I mean, even for me, this podcast, like there's so many podcasts out there. And then, so you talk to yourself a million times and you're like, uh, who's going to want to listen to this? And like, if I do it, is it even going to be good? And all those things, but I could also just do it and stop there. So with you, you being in the habit of just doing things Nike style, um, (laughs) Not to Kobe. Was it Kobe for Nike? I think he was. Was he? Okay. Yes. Kobe forever. But you're accomplished. You do things, whether it's a comedy night or like being a clinical psychologist or being somebody who's like willing to go out there and like try different things, being a consultant. What do you, what do you feel most proud of in your life? Like, what's the thing that you're like, yeah, I did that. Ooh, yeah. Um, honestly, I think I'm most proud of like my marriage, my relationship oh. with my husband. And no, don't get me wrong. I don't consider marriage itself to be an achievement. I'm not like everyone must do this thing. <laughs> um, because truthfully, if you told me like 20, 15 years ago that I'd be married, I'd probably call bullshit on you. Um, <laughs> it just wasn't a part, honestly, of my picture. But I'm grateful that I work hard to make this other person happy and that this other person also works hard to make me happy. Like, I don't see Mm. how that wouldn't, anyone wouldn't be grateful for that. And like having that kind of love for someone, I think being loved that way, honestly, Masella is one of the major reasons why I've been able to risk take and be a little bit more fearless in my life. Mm. It is that feeling that no matter what, this one person has my back. I love it. I love it. I so here's this. I'm going to give him a copy of this now, Masella. This is like Berto. This is for you. Berto's is Benita's husband. But yeah, I mean, okay. So a few things. There's one, the commitment to each other, and it sounds like selfless commitment, where it's like I work to make Berto happy. Berto works to make me happy. And not to say that you forego yourselves in that. It sounds like you making each other happy also helps you to be the best version of yourself, to do things, to try things, take risks, so on and so forth. Totally. I mean, I I would say 
like all those things that I've been able to do, I was like, I want to be a psychologist. Great. I want to be a professor. Great. Done and done. Yeah. But I can't do that unless I feel like I've got some stable ground underneath me. Okay. Uh, and when I think about what is the stable ground, it's my family. Yeah. Um, it's my very close friends. And I mean, I'll give you an example of a time I realized that I'm more proud of this relationship than my career accomplishments. So there I am on stage. I'm graduating with my doctorate. And for that graduating class that year, I was lucky enough to be named Outstanding Student of the Year. So when you have that accomplishment, that title, you are asked to be on stage, you receive an award formally by the president, blah, 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 all the academic traditions that they do. (laughs) And so I'm feeling really proud. I'm on stage and they asked me to stand up to go accept this plaque. And so the crowd goes quiet. And as I'm about to receive this, all of a sudden, I hear quite loudly in this large theater, you're so hot. (laughs) And that in fact was my now husband. And that's when I realized I'm like, that's what I'm proud of right there. Like the ridiculousness of the support that I'm getting, the fact that he knew it would make me laugh, like all of like, that's the stuff that got me on this moment of okay, great, like this accomplishment is pretty lovely. And that's the stuff that just gave me more joy than getting this award in my hand. That is amazing. First of all, really great story. Shout out to Berto for shouting out all of his attractiveness. But I mean, like I'm listening to it, but I'm listening to it and it it makes sense. I mean, it's just like, sure, you could have gotten this like plaque and it's nice and then you go home and like no one thinks you're hot. I how mean, sad of a world. how sad. I mean, and it's not, hello people. I'm not only talking about how attractive Vanita is on the outside, but really like, are you appreciated? Cause you can go home, put that plaque on the wall. Does it matter? Does anyone care? Does anyone see yeah. you for who you are? That's exactly it. Like what's yeah. an accomplishment if you don't have somebody to share it with? And yeah. I mean, I know what I'm saying isn't necessarily novel, but that moment in my life was the biggest one because sure. I have this crowd of Thousands of people who are like politely clapping, you know, that polite clap that yeah. people want to give, right? <laughs> um, great. Okay. That all sounds really lovely, but it won't necessarily bring me joy and have me step back for a moment and pause in the moment. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he created a moment for you to pause and truly be in the moment and to appreciate what was happening. And, you know, it was hilarious because like academic ceremonies are pretty <laughs> steppy and it's all about process and procedure and tradition and my professors were there I mean everyone clearly heard this random dude in the upper balcony of this theater (laughs) yell this thing but I also felt like it was me right like part of my speech was work hard play harder uh, and that felt like a really great way just to demonstrate that in real time for people yeah the pause is everything the pause is everything and I mean to your point I think it's really easy to say, like, I'm not saying anything novel, but I think the establishing that is the hard part. So it's like, in theory, sure, pause, find somebody to love. Is that an easy thing for people? Oftentimes not. So what you did tap on that I think is super important here is like, what is your anchor? And I think sometimes maybe we confuse that with purpose, right? It's like, and purpose feels so overwhelming because it's like, I don't know, what is my purpose in life? And You know, even again, sort of touching on Kobe, maybe he'll be the common theme here, but I might venture to say that there's less of the Kobe's of the world than not. Like 
this kid, from what I see and understand in the recent days, is like he woke up, he decided this was what I wanted to do, he committed. But I, but I think it was bigger than that. I watched an interview with him before he had signed to the Lakers. I think as he was still in college and he mentioned something like, but I don't just want to be remembered as like a great basketball player. Like I want people to think I was a good person. So when I think about the anchor, yeah, you mentioned family, friends, like, is there anything else that anchors you to, and you mentioned also connection. So maybe it's those things, but is there an anchor that's separate from that, that keeps you in a place where you're able to pause and be more intentional? I would say it's the same anchor every time. Okay. Uh, it's actually changed throughout my life and it actually comes from moments like in the past week where I have a friend or a family member who's going through a tough time and I have a moment of holy shit life is short it is fragile I seriously need to just pause for myself so I mean selfishly I will say the pause hasn't been an internally driven, self-created moment. Mm-hmm. It's often come from external or interpersonal interactions with folks where based on what they're sharing and what they've said to me, it's created a pause in myself. So other people, it's almost like your family, your friends, those connections have been somewhat like of a speed bump in ways. Oh, yeah. That's a, no, that's a great way of thinking about it and yeah. it's not just like any old friend any old person yeah. like I don't want to just have everyone be like wow your friendships suck if they don't do this <laughs> for you um so there was this really cool research two years okay. ago that was done all right let me just like this is like this is like professor B please um, bring it this is a study was done a couple years ago where they calculated on average how many hours you spend with someone before you consider them a casual friend a real friend or a close friend. Okay. And they studied like participants were like people who really wanted friendships. Like they moved to a new city and college students as we always research college students. But (laughs) uh, what they found was on average for you to feel like you got a casual friend, you spent about 50 hours with them. Okay. The hours you spent to become real friends with someone was 90 hours. So real friends meaning someone you could trust that you would invite seeing out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the close friend piece, it was 200 hours. 200 hours. And what's the time span for this? Over how long of a, that's a good question. I do not remember that part of it. Okay. But, okay. But I will say the one thing I do remember or they're finding was it actually was just about how much you were chatting with one another. So yeah. Um, but it was just like quality time. Like I'm going to invite you, Masella, over to my house and we're going to like hang and have dinner and watch a movie even. Like that was actually what helped people feel closer to one another. And I share that study because that's exactly how I have felt about it in my life, which mm-hmm. is the anchor for me has always been, I'm going to make time for people. That if life mm-hmm. feels chaotic and there's a lot I can't control, what I can control is how much time I'm making for people. Yeah. And like, sure, you you know, back to your whole, like, do we have purpose? What the hell is purpose? I don't actually know, honestly, what mine is, but I know what drives me. And that is listening to and serving others okay. and learning new ideas and different perspectives and having that help me gain that mastery over skills and knowledge that I will need to continue serving others. Okay. So less less purpose, more whatever the hell purpose means. But because I'm I'm trying to figure it out. That's that's why we're here. Uh, but but more 
drive and motivation. What is the thing that keeps me going? Connection, listening, curiosity, people in general. And maybe that's different for whoever is listening to this, but I suppose it's identifying that so that you can figure out if you need a speed bump so that you can do more of it or if it's distracting or whatever the case. But I think that study is awesome because it helps you at least consider even perception of closeness, right? Who are the people that you're willing to invest into and that it feels maybe reciprocated or shared? Okay, so Vanita, she's told us lots of great things, but uh, it's not going to last. So So my next question for you is all of that, right? Like really great things that feel inspiring, but we all have our moments. What would you say is your worst characteristic? Just one? I've got many. You know, you know, one or two. The one that I feel the most impact from is my lack of patience. Hmm. And what I mean by that is for some reason, I I do feel like I have this like innate sense of urgency. Some of it may be valid, some of it not valid at all and not does not need to exist. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to drop another Kobe reference. <laughs> listen, um, here we are. We love Kobe. I mean, listen, Kobe has his ups and downs. I just want to acknowledge. But I yes. will say that one thing that used to rub, like if you looked at Kobe early NBA days, there were a lot of guys who did not like him. And there were a lot of people who didn't like him. And that's because he he would say he has this expectation that if you're not working as hard as me, then I don't want to, I don't want to be your teammate. I don't want to do, I don't want to do workouts with you. I need somebody who's just as driven, who's going to put the hours in the gym and X, Y, Z. And to some degree, I, I operate from a similar mindset, but the patience thing comes in because I somehow think that I do expect people to be there in the moment and ready to start putting in a hundred percent, even though the like logical part of me knows people got other shit going on. They got other priorities. They got other things that, what brings me joy sure. might not bring that other person joy. And so it's not just patience in getting things done. It's actually patience in others and patience in their growth process and knowing that they will get to their point B in a different way and in a different duration. Okay. Um, and that sounds probably really weird coming from a psychologist to be saying that. Uh, but I'm actually, I would say in my professional world, I'm much more patient. It's in my personal world where I actually need to be exercising, I think, more of that patience. So then I'll, I'll push a little harder then. Where do you think that comes yeah. from? Oh, man. I want to blame my parents for it in some way. <laughs> it's always their fault. Always. <laughs> Isn't that what people do? <laughs> um, I I actually, I know that was a joke, but I, I don't want to blame them. But I do think, I think having immigrant parents is a big one for me. And I didn't really start to own how much of an influence that has had in my life until maybe the last five years or so. Uh, I mean, they, like my mom and dad had to be so forward thinking and future oriented, right? It's what gave them hope to go through the current struggles they were in and I got to get, you know, my dad was like, I got to get fluent English and I got to learn how to do this system and I got to get mm-hmm. this credibility. It's because they were so hardworking and could not be patient because it actually felt like a survival thing for them where it was like, got to make this happen, got to do this thing. And I do think that that's, that has rubbed off on me and in some yeah. ways works really well because I do think it's driven me to get a lot of things done and accomplished. But I, I do also see the downside of that when it pops up in my interpersonal relationships with people. 
Yeah, I hear that. That, that sounds like I blame my parents for that one, maybe a little bit. No, no, it resonates with me. I, you know, my parents are immigrants as well. And same thing in the last few years, I've had this realization that like, wow, they're really badass. When I think about the fact that my dad came here, like maybe knowing some friends, but it's not like he was like going to wherever they lived in the U.S., had $5,000 to bring in cash, had $3,000 that he had to pay for his uh, like med school, like board exam. And so the rest of the $2,000 is like, great, I have to start a life and live. And it's just like, now if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, that's a joke. You're not doing it. And sure, everything is doable. But like what that mentality has taught me over the years, even though I couldn't quite like articulate what it is that I was seeing them do, made me feel or at least approach life from this perspective that everything is figure outable, for lack of a better word. And when I didn't see people doing that, there's a place of frustration because I'm just like, are you joking? How like, why are you sitting on this? Just do something like figure it out. And so I, I agree with you. Work is a different place, but people in your life that you love, I can be really impatient with them. And I think thinking about our parents, like that's often the mentality that they had. They were just like, well, you just work hard. Duh. Well, and even if I think about your dad, right? In this, yeah. in this example, like your dad had to trust the process. He had to be patient that if I just put in that hard work now, it will pay off or my kids will be able to live a better life. All, you know, the narratives we hear from immigrant parents. And could you imagine if he was impatient in that oh process, Michelle? Like, yeah. It just, Insane. It, you or I would not be here, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're like, oh, fuck it. Nothing's yeah. going to happen. Right. I didn't get my reward, my dopamine hit right now. Fuck it. I'm going to do something differently. Like it was, no, it was be patient, stay calm trust in the process let you know that like time and be patient around time was so big and similar to your dad like my dad demonstrated the same my mom as well and while I do certainly subscribe to some of that I I actually think I could learn a lot more and embody more of what our parents come from in terms of that patience than what I'm doing now because I live in a world damn it, where we don't get that immediate gratification. I'm like, all fast. right, on to the next thing. Yeah, fast. Like, give it to me fast and easy. And especially when there's a perception that you've taken the leap, right? At least for me, there's like this measure of, I've done it, so why? And it sounds, it sounds silly, like as I'm saying it out loud, that's the type of shit that runs through my head that can make it really hard to take the risk that I need. And, and then I wonder, right? Like I see some people that seem delusionally confident. It seems like they've got like the patience and the effort. And sure, there's an argument for like why that's probably not always a good thing, but an argument for like why it works. But a common theme that I guess I haven't thought about a lot is like that patience, like true patience for the process, like truly enjoying the journey. Yes, because there's trust that this will pay off at some point, like yeah. I think for your dad and, and my and my parents, like, and think about it, like when your dad succeeded in school or got what he needed to, he didn't say, all right, good, like I'm done, ready <laughs> to go, like I can relax now and go on this vacation. Yeah. Like, I honestly don't think my parents took a real vacation until I was, I don't know, 20 years old. Like they mm-hmm. just didn't know, there wasn't a, all right, let's stop, take a breather, relax, because I earned it, and then let me go to the next. It was constantly going to the next to the next to the next um and it's and I do think that sometimes it comes from this place of 
like when you don't have that sense of security and stability, mm. that anxiety and that fear can be motivating to a certain degree, right? Right. And so, and so I think about that a whole lot too, which is, well, not sometimes not having that stability can also be motivating. Like back to, you know, me talking about my marriage and relationship, but I think there is a purpose for also not having stability and it can work out in a really positive way. But at the same time, patience also involves knowing that everything is likely a step to something else. And I think that's what our parents likely did really well was this is a step to something else. I'm not just going to achieve my one thing and then good. Now I'm done. Right. Um, Which is the impatient part of me pulls for that, quite frankly. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that part <laughs> about my own like, like, I just want to be like, all right, let me channel my parents a lot more. Right. And maybe they need to. Maybe they should listen to this too, as well as my husband. Damn, I'm getting all <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah, just, I need, <laughs> I've paid Vanita to get me podcast views, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like, it's that balance, right? The balance of, trusting the fact that like you said every step leads up to something but also like the balance of knowing that you've got something to lose like Mm. I have to hungrily do this even if this step takes maybe a year longer than I need to because I've got something to lose so it's like it kind of reminds me actually of like a mindset that I often carry and I don't know if it's like the most appropriate mindset but it's helped me But it's just like, my thought is this. If I come to you and I'm like, Vanita, I really want to do this and I want to be the best at it. The reality is my action towards whatever that thing is really is like about how much I actually want it. So when I hear somebody say, I really want this thing, but they don't do it. I'm like, you don't want it that bad. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell me that like you have a job that you hate and you're tired and blah, 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 but yet you don't apply to other jobs. So I'm like, if you really hated that job, after work, even after a long day, like, let me get a nap in, let me do something. And again, I'm not saying that that has to be everybody's mindset. But I guess the question is, like, do I have something to lose here? Is it my like, patience, my dignity, my emotions, anything like what are what are you losing? And is it worth it? Can we see this as like a stepping stone to the next thing? Yeah, I, I love that piece of like, just ask yourself that question, do I have something to lose here? Because you're right, if the answer is no, I'll, I, I, for me, I will say that that would just motivate me less if I've got nothing to lose. Right. All right. Maybe I'll get to it. Maybe I won't. Blah, blah, blah. But I do think that if it also, you know, back to what I was saying around, if I had to say purpose for myself, it's around listening to others, serving others. For me, if I can't find an activity or a life task that doesn't fall under that bucket, I know that I'm less likely to get that done. I, I don't think doing this thing or spending time with this one thing will help in that way. It does help me make decisions much more for sure. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Like your anchor, it sounds like is around this sort of value system of serving others. So sure. Maybe somebody can call it purpose, but like, this is sort of the decision criteria. Do I go in this direction? Do I not? Is it worth it? Is it not? And maybe it's not even something conscious, but just like, knowing what fuels you enough to keep you moving. A hundred percent. And, you know, if you had to interview people who are close to me, they would say that the downside is overextending. Okay. Right. So I will say there's definitely, if I, basically I can make an excuse for anything falling under that bucket. (laughs) And so to have someone be like, whoa, V, like you're giving a lot of your time 
to others, you know, do you need any like self-care time? Do you need any time to kind of wind down? Because there will always be a way that you can serve others. And there's always going to be something more you could be doing. Um, but also recognizing when you're at a limit and where you've got to take care of yourself in order to take, you know, better care of others. And I honestly think that I wax and wane. Sometimes I'm very good at noticing that boundary and I'm like mm -hmm. ready to set it. And other times I won't realize it until I'm like, whoa, why did I sleep 10 hours last night? <laughs> like, okay, so, which tired. I did actually. <laughs> good. So 10 hours last night. I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, I probably just like gave a lot of myself this weekend. Do you know what I mean? She looks well rested if you're wondering. <laughs> yes. Get more sleep. But yes, I love that. Like knowing the balance. So with that, you know, like we all have like those things about ourselves that feel hard to overcome. Perhaps it's patience. Perhaps it is finding the balance into how much of yourself to give or how little of yourself to give in a situation, especially if your anchor might be something like people or serving or, or sharing yourself. What I'm thinking also is like how you've evolved to this. So if you can think back in time, what would current you tell 10-year-old you? Like what type of advice might you give 10-year-old Vanita? Gosh, 10-year-old Vanita. I had really awkward haircut at 10 years old. Um, <laughs> I, like truly what I would tell myself is to worry less about what other people like or want. Mm -hmm. And to not worry about trying to copy others, but that you'll find your own way and that'll be okay too. Um, truly, like I would say that time from like 10 to 15 probably like the most insecure that I've ever been in life and had high anxiety. And I think part of it was because I was just like that constant self comparison. Uh, okay. Am I doing what that person's doing? They seem pretty cool, but look what they're doing. But I look differently, right? I grew up like in a majority white neighborhood as well. Um, and there's just no way that that's a comparison that I should have been making. But at 10 years old, you don't know that. Um, and so there was a lot of worry about how others are going to be per perceiving me and that if I don't do it their way, I'm not going to be okay. And so just worry less about what other people like or want is mm -hmm. the advice I would give myself. And because that I mean, feels... Were you, were you secure from 10 to 15? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I don't even know if I was secure at 20, but... <laughs> I, and like, I just imagine you was this, like, badass on the playground in, like, fifth grade. Not even. Not e and as I was listening to you say that, like, when you said 10 to 15 was, like, the most insecure, I'm like, yeah. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, gosh, that probably lasted more than 15. And then I'm thinking for so many people, this is, like, a current thing where it's like, I can't help but compare myself to other people. And it's this thing that perhaps is learned, because you're right, like maybe you're not old enough to articulate it, or maybe you're in a home where that is just normal. You see maybe your parents do it, there's mirroring. So thinking about ourselves and other people and younger versions of ourselves, because that's like so much easier to think in theory than practice, like what might be the thing that you would encourage people to do to worry less? Like how, how might I do that? This is going to be probably controversial. Oh, please. Say, but um, we need good ratings. <laughs> <laughs> like find the people in your life who you believe know you the most. And, and that might not be your parents, right? It might not be your sibling. It might not be 
Um, and likely they are the ones who truly love the uniqueness and the quirkiness of you, which will likely have you worry less about what other people like or want. I, I definitely don't think I had friends in my life in that like age span where I think I had other insecure friends. And so we all were freaking out on each other's insecurities. Uh, and there was just this one person to be like, don't worry about it. Like you're going to be great no matter what. And, and I will say my like flip moment. And the reason why I said about 15 was because I had this French teacher, Mrs. Rollins. Okay. Madame Rollins. Lovely woman. Uh, I'm at my locker and in ninth grade, I was kind of a badass in that I had computer <laughs> speakers on the top of my locker shelf. And so I'd like bust out music and I would listen to music <laughs> out of my locker. Yes. Um, all teachers hated, I'm sure. Uh, and I listened to a lot of hip hop, right? Like this is like the days of like, I don't know, Biggie and Puffy and like that being huge. Mm-hmm. So there I am listening to some hip hop. I have a couple friends there with me, but we're not, we're just like chatting. And I say the word fuck in a conversation with my friends. And just as I say that, my French teacher is walking by. (laughs) Madame Rollins rolls in. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she stops dead in her tracks, looks over at me, and then says to me, Anita, I want to see you in my classroom. Oh. And so all of my friends, everyone's like, oh, you know, oh, there you go. Oh, shit. Okay. So great. I pause my CD player. I go to her down at her classroom down the hallway. She pulls me aside. And Masella, she said to me, Vanita, you're too smart to be using that language. Mm. And it was at that time that I realized maybe all the adults and teachers in my world don't actually know a whole lot about life <laughs> because yeah. that's when I realized, wait, you're that, that logic is false. It doesn't actually make a lot of sense. And I didn't challenge her in that time because you're a student. This is a teacher. You show respect and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, but that comment, I mean, look at it like 20 years later, I'm still remembering that comment because it really stuck with me and it, and it made me think, Oh my God, does that mean that the swearing that feels so comfortable to me that I should be second guessing it because it, people are going to think I'm not smart. Wow. And I had a, like, I really had a switch in terms of, I think I can actually do both. I think I can say fuck and also be a really smart person. Yes. Um, and I have to say when I got my first like professor appointment at a university, I really wanted uh, to email her. And so I sent her oh my a message. Gosh. Over Facebook, I found her on Facebook. And I remember being like, I just want to tell you that this many years ago, this is a comment that you made. And I'm a professor and I say fuck in my lectures. Amen. What did she say back? (laughs) I mean, who even knows if she remembered that she said that? And, you know, teachers make mistakes too. Sure. It really was the moment where I was like, oh, even adults, I can't even rely on, on adults to be reassuring and to let me worry less about what other people think. There are actually ways that adults that I'm supposed to revere in my life might actually create more anxiety and insecurity in myself. And, and that's when I realized that I was like, Oh, maybe I'm trusting, maybe not the right people Mm. and looking up to the right people for this wisdom. 
probably even my like best friend who's also 14 could tell me something more wise and resounding for me and so or resonating for me so that happened wow so the message the underlying message of the story of mrs rollins and all of that is just something that i think is so important and i felt it as well like finding your people finding the people that can sort of speak life into you so when i think about maybe not feeling secure at 15 but maybe feeling more secure around like 2021 was coming to college and actually meeting people that I like genuinely wanted to be friends with. And I know this sounds bad because I did not to say I didn't have friends before, but like, yeah, we're all like 14 and 15 and figuring our own shit out and trying to figure out like, where do I fit in and how do I belong? But like some of my closest friends were just like people that I met here where it's like we showed up as individuals and you can sort of leave like all the weirdness behind and be a new person for what it's worth. I mean, I guess that's what college is for a lot of people. But like, that was like the shit that like gave me the confidence that I needed. And then when you were like, wow, I feel like myself, or I think this is what myself feels like. I'm like, why would I have around this other person that doesn't make me feel secure or doesn't make me feel good? And it's sort of like that. There's another quote somewhere probably on Instagram. That's like, if people make you like feel like too hard to love, they're probably not the right people for you. And I think you make a point. Instagram, dropping those, <laughs> Instagram man. But like, but you, you said it too. Like it, sometimes it's also like not your family, even when they love you. Right. Like my parents, again, immigrant parents, there's this, um, it, they have, they've had so much risk into like what would provide them that ideal life that it's like, there's a right and a wrong way to do things, you know? And so like their judgment of like, you're not going to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Like, Oh, what does that mean? And now they're like, oh, great, you're successful. But had I like followed the guys that maybe like my mom wanted me to, I could have ended up being very miserable and unhappy. And then like, what does that do for anybody? It's so, it's so true. And I think part of it is definitely cultural, like what you're talking about, which is yeah. I need to show respect for my elders, right? They are the wise ones that they will have, they will guide me in the way uh, that is most, whatever, safe, successful, all of those things. and. And as a kid, you 100% believe in that. And you would in no way ever question it. And then it was about, like, that Mrs. Rollins time or when I get to uh, (laughs) high school, but especially in college, like what you're sharing, where I started to realize, like, maybe that was helpful to a certain degree, but not 100%, you know? Don't get me wrong. Like, it definitely steered me in a really helpful direction. Sure. But there's a limitation to it. And it's important for me to understand that I didn't have to hold everything that an adult said to me with like this heavy weight and that it's right or wrong if this is the case. And college was definitely, I would say graduate school was more for me because college, I stayed in my same hometown, had the same friends. It didn't feel like a fresh start. But when I started to really surround myself with other people, their perspectives, that was a game changer for me. And maybe college isn't the way that everyone needs to get that. I think it was an easy way for me to get that, but I really wanted to, like, I was curious about how academics think and wanted to get more intimate with that, not in an inappropriate way, but like wanted to <laughs> sure, sure, sure. explore that more. And so I was like, great, I'm going to go to grad school. Yeah. And then, and then here you that. are. And then here you are. So I have a couple more fun questions for you. Uh, The first one, do you ever think about living someone else's life? 
I mean, I have Instagram. You know what I mean? <laughs> true, true. Like, the gram will definitely make you question that. But, um, <laughs> Why am I not in Mykonos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's not one person in particular. I mean, maybe Oprah. Sure, sure. But, but if I think about, like, why Oprah or anyone like her, it's... The goal here is like anyone I think who's able to gain influence on the way other people think about each other in the world, that to me, you can use that power for good and for bad for sure. Uh, But it, so there's that influence piece. There's also back to, we were talking about the risk-taking fearlessness piece. I, it's not that I want to live someone else's life, but when I see somebody else truly conquer a fear or show some fearlessness around something that I have fear around, I just go, damn, I want to do that. Damn it, I want to do that. Um, Roberta Bonder is a, Dr. Roberta Bonder, she's a, she's an astronaut. She was the first Canadian female astronaut and the first neurologist okay. in space. Canada, and, woo. Oh yeah, she's just like, that's amazing. badass. Um, but then the crazy, the, like I would say the wild thing about her is that she's also a photographer, but then like helped with IMAX movies now has a foundation that's dedicated to environmental awareness, like does all of these things. And there's a fearlessness around that, that I really, truly admire. And it speaks back to, we were talking about our like immigrant parents, which is on to the next, on to the next, you don't stop. Okay, great. I'm an astronaut. Check. Great. I'm a neurologist. Check. No, this one, we just kept going. Um, and there's a, there's a level of risk taking in that. And so I, Again, it's not that I want to live someone else's life, but I have mad respect for that fearlessness piece in people, and particularly women, because there's right. there's more barriers. Let's yeah, be honest. there are definitely more barriers. But yeah, it's like I like that your uh, potential life swap is about inspiration. What are the qualities that these people have that maybe I can emphasize in my life or uh, just touch on? in moments when I maybe wouldn't have. Mm. All right. So of course we can't end keeping score without the question of the hour, which is. I've been waiting for this the whole time. She's yeah. been waiting. She's been waiting. So Vanita, scale of one to 10, as is like in this current moment, how much would you recommend your life to another person? One being not at all, 10 being like, hell yes, this is the most amazing life they could ever have. Well, again, I would say tragedy of Kobe Bryant, just that reminder of, of mortality has impacted this number. Uh, I would say I'm at a nine. A nine. Okay. Right now. Yeah. I've, I've got a dope life filled with many privileges. She and does. I know some pretty cool people. So I'm a nine, Misella. She does. So then, then with that at a nine, let's say again, you're handing this life over to another person. You can give them one piece of parting advice. What might it be? Be more patient. <laughs> I honestly think it's Calm the fuck patient. down. <laughs> I'd be more patient. I'd be doing some more of that risk-taking and that fearlessness stuff. And that would probably bump that to like the 10 out of 10. Yeah. So when practicing more of that, of that patience and, and truly knowing that whatever you're investing in now will at some point bring you to some other type of joy... I just need to work on that. And that's what I'm going to do the moment that we're done our interview here today. <laughs> I'm like, I got to get that to a 10. Yes, get it to a 10. 
All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Vanita, for being here. It's... Thank you, Ms. Mall. Such a joy to spend time with you, honestly. Yes, me too. And everybody else, if you're listening, I think the thing that I took away most from this conversation with Vanita is certainly around patience, but also the driving force, right? Like when we think about the things that could make us better, there's this opportunity to one, consider like what about it makes us better versus just saying, I want to be faster or more patient or kinder or so on and so forth. What's the benefit? And also what's the thing that's going to allow you to do that? Is it some sort of speed bump? I love Vinita's theme of connection in all of this. Like, what are you doing it for? And I don't think you have to name it purpose if that is too daunting, but is it about other people? Is it for yourself? Is it for your legacy? Whatever it is that you decide, let there be something that is greater than just all the things that you're trying to accomplish. Thank you so much, everyone.